This episode of Open Ended is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show. I'm Cher Vincent. And I'm James D. Green, and this is Open Ended, where two best friends blur the line between fact and fiction. So, yeah, and um, I'm not in New York anymore. Womp womp. But, womp womp. But it's okay. I'm back in Chicago, back in the studio, the usual studio. And, mm-hmm. uh, but since I've been gone, since I've been gone, um, <laughs> sorry. I'll let uh, you laugh at yourself on that one. <laughs> All right, fine. Well, anyway, but since um, I've been gone, you've been like soaking up culture, man, right? I've been really happy about this. I've been watching so many movies and TV shows, mm-hmm. and I feel like you should be really proud of me because I'm now catching up. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk to you about the things that I've been doing for the last couple of months, and you're just like, you know, ex- getting it all in in a couple of weeks. So good yeah. job, James. Thank you. Yes. So um, I think what we really wanted to discuss, though, so, is there's two films that we had watched in the last few months. Um, that has been getting a lot of notoriety. But like before we get into that, I kind of want to talk about just storytelling in general and sharing your narrative. If you want to be heady about it, just going back as far as like African oral history and the Bible, sharing your narrative is something that is just ingrained into human nature and wanting to tell stories in general and kind of understanding that once you tell your story it's no longer yours to interpret any longer Mm -hmm. that that once you know it's out in the world you give license to have that that story have you know poetic license if you will yeah isn't it like wild that like our ancestors like all of the histories of like all of our families and all this stuff have been for the most part like traded orally. Mm-hmm. Like, like you ever just stop and think that sometimes? Just yeah. like, like damn, like all these folk tales and truths and fictions and like myths and everything. Like they've all been somehow just passed along by people to people to people. And like a lot of times we don't really know what's true, what's false. Like it's it's it it mind boggles me sometimes. Absolutely, it's hard to know where where the truth. Um, ends and where the storytelling begins you know just because in in actuality a story is not necessarily something that's true even so it's really trying to find what is actually true or at least what is believed to be true mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's interesting because like you know in the olden times at least no one really owned books books were handwritten for the most part and just going as far back as like the Gutenberg's Bible, it was like the the, the first mass produced book, you know, before then everything was handwritten or just orally spoken. So it was, you know, differently translated. It's kind of like the like, like game and you play as a kid telephone 
when you're going around yeah. the room and like sharing like one thing, um, sharing like a certain sentence and you go back around the room by the time it gets back to you, it's totally different. So just storytelling in general is very similar to that game. You know, when you're a kid, you play that and it's so funny just thinking about that game. You, when you tell people stories, the interpretation is always going to be different. And then, you know, and then like currently you have like critics who, you know, detail your book or your movie or your tv show and they interpret it from their own personal experiences and not necessarily from where the originator began so the thing i'm curious about like do you ever get worried about the interpretation of like your art or your stories from other people because especially like when you're talking about really personal shit you think about it some way in your head but then also you have to think about like how others are going to interpret it especially i.e the white gaze in interpreting anything yeah it's interesting um i'm currently writing a sh- story that i'm gonna uh go just i'm gonna be performing at a storytelling event later this month and i'm writing a story about that right now and i had to think really hard about the kind of story i want to tell just because like it's a it's a smaller storytelling event and i'm sure most of the audience is going to be white because in a pretty predominantly white north side neighborhood and just trying to figure out exactly what I want the story to sound like, but also make sure that I'm being true to myself, but also, you know, I have to read the room. Do you ever feel like people in disenfranchised circles have the ability to almost like bend the truth in a form of storytelling? Because it's almost like you're speaking this in the gaze of others and they may interpret that as like, Oh, this is a truth of this group. But then in reality, you're just kind of using like narrative pool to kind of like guide things in a different direction. Like, I don't know. I'm just been thinking a lot about like the idea of like fiction from disenfranchised groups and how that gets interpreted by the gays. Like, I think like a perfect example is like insecure in Issa Rae. Mm-hmm. And people kept placing, even though this person is named Issa in the show, they kept placing real life Issa on her. And I think this also goes into womanhood as well of this idea, like can a person write a fictionalized thing about themselves and not have it be immediately placed onto their real life character? Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I brought up girls, um, the HBO show girls last week, um, my last week, last episode about like how people would throw um, so many, um, so many of their own interpretations of what like um, Lena Dunham was because the character Hannah Horvath was, you know, a hot mess. They just assumed that Lena Dunham also was a hot mess, and she too was struggling with that kind of like that fine line of like she even like the character that she plays not even named Hannah, but they like well it's her creation so she's obviously the same character she tried to like separate it and like isa's also having that same issue with like oh she must be cheating on her man or whatever or you know she doesn't have her shit together and it's like no she's a totally different person but like because you're she says the face of what she's created it's hard for you to separate yourself from that We brought this up because there was two films that you had saw recently that I had saw. One of them, of course, is the ever present, and I'm so happy that it's like ever present now because it's it deserves all of its um, accolades. Is um, Moonlight? 
Yeah. I brought it up like I guess back in November when I when I first saw it. But, you know, you hadn't watched it yet. So now that she's finally seen it, give me your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess to give like a little bit of world building of like when I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. I saw it with Sine. Great. And we watched it in our home. We rented it on iTunes. And I don't know if it was also the fact that like we were in the comfort of our home, but damn, this movie feels like an intimate like insight. And I mean, I cried multiple times in the movie. Yeah. Like there were so many points where I felt like this movie, every single point that was made was made with so much care. Mm-hmm. There was so much thoughtfulness that occurred I mean, for me personally, like after watching the movie, I just started thinking a lot about what masculinity means mm-hmm. and how much of it is performative, how much of it like just a sec like just a part of black being in the diner and sort of the taking on and off of the grill mm-hmm. is this like feeling of like it's all performative. It's like these pers- portions of himself he's taking on and off in these various situations. Like I looked at it as like, even though you may be taking a grill off to eat to keep it sanitized, the fact of sharing a meal with someone that you love is an intimate experience. And you're essentially stripping yourself down to be intimate with this person, a meal that was cooked for him by somebody he loves. And it's like, here I am taking my guard down. Here I am taking off my layers of masculinity to be gentle in front of you. Yeah, like, it, there, there are all these feelings of that that kind of like spread throughout the movie for me. Yeah, even the moment where you watch Andre cook for him, just that, just like that, like three minutes almost of montage is like making this meal for black was so beautiful just like how like he was very meticulous of just like cutting the onions and making like the rice um, bowl pile and you know sauteing just like the act of him you know taking deliberate care and the thoughtfulness of making this meal for this person that he hasn't seen in 10 years and you know there was definitely an act of love in just in that and then you see you know, black taking on, putting back, I'm putting, I'm taking off the grill and just that intimacy that's going on within that, like just that moment. And it's all silent too. Like that's the thing mm-hmm. about the movie. Like it does. And I think that's, what's so beautiful about that film too, is that it's very quiet. So you're not really seeing, you're not really hearing anything. So there's not, it's, it's, it's um a lot of room for inter- interpretation just because you're not hearing anything factually to seeing things. Yeah. It's interesting hearing the response just from the white audience about the film. Um, there's been a few responses and a few uh, articles and reviews that kind of like talked about how it's in a, neg- in a negative way, how like Moonlight, it's not their narrative. <laughs> I forgot who wrote it, but there was this one woman um critic who kind of bashed moonlight because she's a middle-class white woman and she couldn't relate and it's like it's not about you it's not for you and so 
um, having to reckon with people who are from a different class or different ethnicity watching your material that's so niche and so like insular and almost like in a in a a silo of its own doing kind of creating what it's what is happening to this character Chiron within his world and not looking outside of it you know you have people who are looking outside of an in and they come with their own preconceived notions for what this film could be or should be or what his story is and so it's hard to you know reckon with the idea that someone's not going to understand it's it feels not fair but then again like water is wet and the sky is blue i mean it's (laughs) because we have to for every almost every aspect of culture we have to like i have to understand jokes about seinfeld i don't give a fuck about it yes exactly but exactly but but this is something that's seen as like the quote-unquote american experience you know what i mean but it's like you can't take time for yourself to look into someone else's experience that like damn well isn't yours and treat it with the same type of respect and American experience that that in fact is, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's a spectrum. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, that, that goes for every type of media. It goes for movies, TV shows, podcasts, like all that. Most of the people that I, most people who I know who saw the movie were white people. I, I okay. So people saw Moonlight. So I'm going to ask you this. Do you feel like they really loved Moonlight or they loved the performative aspect of I think telling they loved, you that they loved Moonlight? I, yeah. Oh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. It's that like, okay. I, people love Moonlight. And also I feel like people love like Kendrick Lamar and people love Beyonce, but they also love he- saying that they love those things because it <laughs> gives them this like, you know, this, this, the shield from like, you know, being separated from the, non-woke folks or whatever it's like yeah i know i'm with it i'm cool i know what's going on and it's like yeah that's great and everything and i appreciate you liking this stuff but like you know it's still there's a separation where like they'll never be able to get to the other side because it's just not an experience they'll ever have yeah it's almost like if you could think about it like if they were superheroes it's like it's like a shield like Mm-hmm. the whiteness woke shield yep. or this like feeling of here i am like this is my this is my performance i'm it's okay i'm one of the good ones you know right. what i mean exactly. like yeah, exactly <laughs> which i think it's a great time to go into the other um movie that we both saw uh, which definitely um for me kind of attacked that idea of the the safeness of the liberal white person <laughs> <laughs> and how it is not true. <laughs> yeah. And that's get out. So if you haven't seen this movie yet, this is the spoiler alert horn. Bah, bah, yeah. bah, bah. This is a spoiler alert, spoiler alert time. Because we're so, gonna get so spoiler. We're right gonna be now. very spoilery. So if you have not watched it, uh, I would rewind I would, no, I would fast forward like ten minutes. <laughs> I'm kidding, not ten minutes, maybe like five. We're not gonna talk about that long. But um yeah. But anyway, so like that's the whole, I think that was the whole purpose of the film for me was like the idea of, you know, the liberal white person and how like, you know, yeah, you know, I love Tiger Woods. I would vote for (laughs) Obama a third time. And it's like, oh, but you know, as soon as you see me though, you, that's the thing that you see of me is my blackness immediately. Like you don't need to talk about that. I don't, I don't care. 
it has nothing to do with me <laughs> you know and it's just i feel like when and it's it's and it's definitely a, a side of racism when you un- initially when you interact with somebody you've never met for the first time and the first thing you talk about is something that is some random black person in culture like i don't like I've gone to so many parties and like the first thing some white chick says to me is like, Oh my God, I love the new Beyonce. Okay, <laughs> cool. Good for you. You know, like the fuck, like I don't care. And the idea of it being such a directive as far as uh, how they see me or how um, they see other people of color even is it's wild so yeah i'm totally right there with you the thing that i really just want to dig into within like the whole scope of get out like fantastic movie like if you haven't seen it like yo see it in the theater see it in like a really good house with like preferably a bunch of other black people (laughs) but the thing that like really stuck to me was the idea of the sunken place Mm. like like my god so if if you well obviously if you've seen the movie or if you are okay with being spoiled the sunken place was the spot where the main character after he was hypnotized it was almost like this feeling of floating and like trying to talk to your conscious self or everything that's happening around you and it was visualized as a screen that was your field of vision that was continually flowing away from you. And you were like floating in this like area where you can't do anything and you're screaming, but nobody can see it. It's like kind of like this feeling of your subconscious or in fact, like you, the things that you want to say, but you can't. And I just felt like personifying this feeling that <laughs> frankly, I know like the both of us have felt. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was like kind of like a human form of assimilation. Ooh, go into that. What do you mean by that? Um, when you kind of like have to, you know, like when you work in like say for instance like someplace like corporate America, you kinda of have to code switch. You've have to, you know, get into this, you know, kind of headspace, so to speak, where you can't really be a hundred percent of yourself. You kinda of have to like you know, tone down the things that might be a little too aggressive or a little too, you know, black or a little too, you know, loud. You kind of have to, you know, repress that in order to facilitate or at least be a part of this white corporate or, you know, um, this idea of what society is for the most part. But it's when you, when like the form of assimilation is essentially, you know, blending in and toning down what is a stereotype or when people like, um, like Latinx or, you know, or Latin people, when they, you know, when they're learning English from Spanish, they are, they're making a conscious decision to be part of the greater culture they're living in America, you know, and they're, you know, and parts of that. Um, assimilation is also letting go of some of the stuff that you some of the culture that you were raised in or being a part of and you know and it's hard to balance that because you're giving up some of you're giving someone up your culture by adopting a new culture same with you know when assimilation with a black person you know going into like corporate america or a, or a latino person going latinx rather going into um 
um, going into corporate America or whatever, you know, your people of color going into corporate America, they have to let go and let, and they have to, they have to lose a little part of what makes them whole in order to be in certain rooms. It's, I don't know. It's just hard because, you know, it's, there's that friction that's happening and Mm -hmm. you with, with, as far as black people, black people have this, you know, this derogatory, you know, image of, you know, being loud and aggressive and being short tempered. And that's not true at all. But even if you have rightfully could be angry about something, you can't react that way. Yeah. Even though you, you, you have every right to be angry about something that's because be, you're being mistreated for what, uh, whatever reason. And, you know, you have to like think five steps ahead because you realize, oh, I can't react the way I should be reacting right now because I'm just going to be looked at as an angry black person. Man. So, and so the second place for me is like when you are repressing those things, those feelings constantly in lieu of, you know, the quote unquote right approach or white approach or whatever you want to call it as. And it's like, you're, you're denying the part of you that is real, that is human, no matter what you look like, but you can't react that way because of all the, you know, all this other stereotype bullshit that you know is thrown upon you simply because you're you know a person of color absolutely and so that's what i feel like the second place is for me was that and that's why like made me almost cry when i saw like holy shit this is so real this is so fucking real yeah yeah when sine and i were watching it and the second place was first brought up on the screen we gave each other this look that was like he nailed I know it. Exactly what this is. He nailed it. Yeah. He fucking nailed it. So Cher, I've got this like hot take that I'm gonna let you know. Okay. I just literally just like thought about it. So <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, prepare for this. I am All prepared. Right. I am ready. <laughs> so uh, you know the character Andre? Uh he was Logan when he was on like I almost called them white settlers, but essentially the same thing. <laughs> Let's <laughs> the, just call the white it that. Suburb. Let's own that. Let's own yeah, that. So the, the, white the white settlers. settlers backyard. Uh, <laughs> Logan slash Andre. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just call him Logan for the sake of uh, this section because that's sure. the character he was performing in the white settlers backyard. Mm. So when he was there, he gave me like this vibe of like kind of the feeling of like black folks that really align themselves with respectability politics Mm. and this idea that if you act a certain way, you dress a certain way, you will sort of ascend into whiteness and, and kind of like go, you know, like pretty much like deny themselves. And it kind of also lines into the fact that there was only one Asian um, man that brief second that he was in there. And this idea of like assimilating into whiteness and be proximity of whiteness, but, in the long scheme of things, you can never achieve full whiteness. Of course not. Yeah, um, totally. Okay, I, like, and, like, what about guys who wear khakis? You know, well, and only, <laughs> you know, and only date white women, and you know they are, you know, they've code switched so far that they can't turn them back off. Right, and yeah. and and like, granted, like Logan was hypnotized in that section. 
it really reminded me of a lot of especially like black men and sometimes black women um in the media Mm -hmm. that will critique black folks saying like oh if they only pulled up their pants they would be able to be in these spaces or you know those type of feelings and Mm -hmm. i kind of felt like that was like a a sort of snuck in reference to respectability politics because if we realize like Logan was the only one that was part of the party, as you could say. Yeah. You know, he was the only one that was kind of there with the exception of the main character. Like he was the only one that was there and was like, Hey, I am a part of these white people. I am entertaining them. I am into whiteness, but still I am othering. So I just kind of felt this like, brief thing about respectability politics that was like thrown in there yeah no i i, I completely agree um it is, it is a hot take but um it's a hot take that i can i can handle um i'm so proud i'm so yeah. proud of that no no it's good um i totally agree i think you know when you are surrounding yourself with you know or rather aligning yourself with in your head thinking that white is always right which is not the case (laughs) you know you you leave yourself susceptible to losing a part of your narrative that is yours but it's being misinterpreted or it's being dissolved because you're you're over you're over compensating and you know letting that part of you disappear Okay, so real quick, did you when the cop car showed up? Oh yes, I was like, there oh was, hell no, I, no, I, I legit. That was the I, scariest part of the whole yeah, movie to me. Yep, that was. The I legit part. said no. <laughs> yeah, everybody was like that in my theater yeah, too. Yeah, everybody yeah, was yeah. like no, 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 which says a lot about the <laughs> fucking world we live in right now. Is that you see a cop car and it's your, and your immediate yeah. feeling is doom. So like, yeah. that's and I your felt like immediate feeling is fucking doom. And I totally felt like that could have been a great way to end it because it's like regardless, we're still like fucked in a lot yeah. of ways. You and know, and I, I feel mean? like that was an alternative ending too. Was that because there was like, um, I I listened to an interview he did. Um, I believe with um, still processing, and there was multiple endings to the film, mm-hmm. and I think like yeah. one of the endings was like you know he does get you know let the co- that that was a crazy cop car, and he does get like arrested and stuff like that. Right, so, that would have been like a very like oh that's real, that's <laughs> type real. ending to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but no, I'm happy the way it ended, and it was just kind of like thank God, like let him, let him, let, <laughs> let him be the hero in this movie, yeah. please. And speaking of heroes, transition. Oh my God, Cher. Pivoting. Um, <laughs> the hero of last week. <laughs> was the producer of La La Land who was so graceful <laughs> in his loss. I'm about to I'm about to shut this off right now. Sherry, <laughs> if you don't get your ass. <laughs> I didn't say that. Shit, that was not my words. It was everybody else's words. Fuck out of here. He's so strong. He like, oh you know, God. took his he took his loss so eloquently. What about the other eight films that took their their loss <laughs> gracefully? How about that? You know, like what the fuck? White like, savior is gonna white savior. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Like I was just like seriously, my good bitch. Like y'all, 
y'all are fine y'all won six other oscars y'all gonna be good and you know i mean granted it was a complete kerfuffle all that was just like bonkers at the end of the day moonlight was victorious and they should have gotten um their moment in the sun and they didn't and you know even to put like you know salt into a, a very open wound ben barry jenkins had to share the variety cover with uh damien yeah. uh, damien oh. giselle and that was just it made me so upset it made me feel some type of way in a way that i don't i should not have felt honestly but i was like i don't know either one of these guys but like damn it that's fucked up yeah so people who don't know about the variety magazine variety magazine every year after the oscars is like the it's like the morning after because everybody's partying have a good time and variety has a cover of like a person a, a prominent person usually male at this point but i think the last three or four this is the fourth cover they've done this and the last three years it was like you know um either best director or best producer for a film. So like, you know, a couple years ago, it was um, Alonzo who won for Birdman. And the year before that, it was one of the guys from Gravity. And before that, it was another guy, I think, from 12 Years a Slave. And this has been, been the first cover that a black man would have been on. And, it, and it's usually just a single person. It's not two people. And this year, it's yet another white man with the black guy and it's like no mm. see you know and it's just like he couldn't have this one like he already had to share the night with La La Land on the stage and like there was literally a moment when both La La Land folks and Moonlight folks were on the stage at the same time for best picture and it's just like they couldn't and Barry had to like rush his speech he had a beautiful speech he prepared he never got to recite it on stage you know and it's just it made me so sad it made me so sad seeing that like he can't like have this one moment you know in the sun literally mm -hmm. in the sun because we're like walking out of the doorway and it's like sunshine and it's like he couldn't have this by himself he had to share it yet again and you know it wasn't and you know i still haven't really only like in the last couple of days have i heard more about like how great moonlight is and but for such a long time the story was not about the fact that moonlight won the first the second um the second film to ever win an Oscar, but that was directed by a black man, and the first LGBTQ film that um, won an Oscar. That is only now in the last couple of days been talked about. Before it's all about how La La Land got you know the screw over, or at least La La Land thought that they had won and then didn't. It's like mm -hmm. it's not about them. It's not about the losers. It's about the winner, you know. And it's just <laughs> like they fucking lost, you know. Oh well, too bad. Whatever, and. And, and you know it makes me even like it's like okay so you have never watched la la land i've seen the movie i liked la la land it was a fine film there were just better films out there and <laughs> that's just the, that's just the case and it's just like it was just a it just it's a great film fine film i liked it when i was watching it i can't recall any of the songs that i listened to it though like it was kind of like sand you know when you skip up sand on the beach and go through your fingertips it's kind of how the film was for me Ooh. i enjoyed it a lot while i was watching it but then afterwards i couldn't like think about like anything outside of like the costume design or like i couldn't recall any song that i had heard so like la la know. land is like if it makes it sound like you're saying like la la land is like cvs walgreens lotion you know what i mean like it's not oh my god <laughs> 
Like, it'll get the job done for hydrating your skin, but it's not going to stay with you after a couple hours. Sure. Sure. But, you know, I wouldn't go as far as that. But you know what I mean? Like, it's not... But it's not something that like leaves me thinking of you know thinking about it pondering it like I didn't ponder La La Land at all really Moonlight I ponder I still think about that movie like I sometimes I just stare off into space and I realize oh I'm, I'm thinking about Moonlight like that kind of film sticks with you it sticks in your bones you know like raw shea butter right or like <laughs> if we're, if we're talking about you know if we're talking about body stuff you know La La yeah Land we're talking is about like, body stuff yeah. but like La La Land is candy you know that's fun to eat and then you know it's you know but it has zero like you know any real calorie production whereas like moonlight is protein it sticks to your bones it like you know it keeps you running it keeps you fuel it you know it keeps you thinking as opposed to La La Land is <laughs> a very color candied you know pop you know soda with all these empty <laughs> calories <laughs> I'm not going to try to keep this metaphor going, FYI. <laughs> okay, but still. Um, you know, yeah, the- but it's, but yeah, no, I know I fucks with that. Like, it's it's this idea of just like, because, I guess it's kind of like what we talked about earlier. It's like this mm-hmm. idea that Moonlight is not for white people. Nope. It's, it's not. not. It's not a narrative for white people. It's not a narrative for and, all black people, even. Right, right, like, exactly. It, it is a, it is a niche narrative told beautifully but like i'm just very curious about this editorial decision of having the both of them on this cover but it makes it easier for white people to digest Mm -hmm. having this connection of whiteness with this movie it's almost like a vehicle almost like a like a funnel you know what i mean yeah to make yeah yeah and that's a whole that's a whole thing and like in the grand scheme of things with like storytelling it's not you know, the the white narrative is the majority narrative, you know, in a lot of ways as far as how people see the world. It's not necessarily a true narrative, but it's a narrative that everyone is, you know, quote unquote comfortable with. And mm-hmm. so when anything that negates that or anything that um, questions that narrative is seen as, you know, other. Yeah. And that was what so was that was why it was so important and so historic about that win was that like finally, you know, the Oscars got something right because they usually don't. They usually don't like they, you know, even when they award you know characters or like actors and stuff like that, like they rarely get it right. Like um, like I'm going back. I'm going back. But like like Libby Goldberg. She won an Oscar for Ghost, which she should have won for Color Purple. You know, like, there's actors who've been nominated dozens of times and only get, you know, not, only win a couple of times. They, they rarely get it right. That's why it was so historic when then Moonlight actually got it right. Like, oh, fuck. They did it. They fucking did it. They they got it right. And then, of course, when they did get it right, it was, it was superseded by something they fucked up. <laughs> yeah and it's like fuck you know like a part of me feels like the academy was like when that screw up happened they were like oh oh that's great that's great like we can like not take this like with the press at face value like we can always loop it with this uh with this screw up like this oh happy little kerfuffle you know Uh, uh. yeah and this and like and it kept them i mean like we're still talking about it a week later so yep we are (laughs) so i mean like who's the real fools here you know them or us 
Ooh. I don't know. But is that the, is that the uh, learning I? lesson of, of <laughs> today's episode? Who is the fool? Who's the fool? <laughs> are we all, are we all played? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Oh man, share coming through with the with Hot the life mistakes. lessons here. <laughs> you feel That's... like you feel like my grandma, you know? Oh just no, like, just just giving me life lessons and shit. <laughs> I try. <laughs> Hey, Cher. Hey. You know what time it is? It is open call time. It's open call time. Open call. It is open call time. If you are unfamiliar with open call, open call is where we give a shout out to what it is that we're feeling as of lately. It can be an idea. It could be a thing. It could be honestly whatever the fuck we want. So, Cher, what are you feeling this week? So, my open call this week is about brown girls. Um, how Last week, I talked about, like, girls... Um, the Lena Dunham show on HBO and how like it's a great satire and how I love the show, but how it's, you know, it's really not going to be a place where I'm going to find my story. I just enjoy it being as a satire and how they do have people of color, but it's rare. This show is entirely of people of color. There is not one white extra even in this film, in this uh, web series. And it was directed and co-created by um, previous guests of the show, Sam Bailey, and one of her dear friends, Fatima Askar. And it's about two women. One is Pakistani-American and another is African-American musician. And uh, the the Pakistani-American is a writer and how they're dealing with their queerness, sexuality, um, job woes, and just kind of navigating their mid-20s and trying to deal with, you know, being a brown person in the world. And it's so funny and so beautifully shot and heartwarming and super serious and lovely and it has so many emotions in seven episodes that spans maybe two hours so if you've got like you know two hours this weekend or later this week i definitely highly recommend just spending time with the show um it's so well done and it's such a rare feat when you see something that you relate to beautifully shot made for you in a way that like is accessible to the masses um it's great i can't i remember i saw the series in its entirety at its premiere in chicago a couple weeks back and i remember just being in the room with all these beautiful young people seeing the show and seeing themselves on screen and i can't I can't describe the energy that was in that room, just that love and care and thoughtfulness that was inside of that room. Uh, yeah, it's just very wonderful. I cried multiple times in the show. So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's I cried great. Yeah, I cried multiple times. There was um, the episode three is the one that I really like sort of bawling just because it was um, the Pakistani Americans, her um, episode about her um, kind of coming to terms with her queer identity and telling her sister about it and oh my god just that is that story is so rarely shown especially you know by people of color um yeah so highly recommend it huge 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 stamp of approval for me give more folks opportunities and space to like tell their own story because like even though like we're all black and brown, 
like all of our experiences are so fucking different and i mean like that's like kind of like what we talked about earlier with like moonlight and get out and all these other things like everybody's story is different like people that can't relate to this story might relate to this story and you know we're not a monolith (laughs) y'all you know and i feel like we're preaching to the choir and a lot of stuff but i don't know like seeing brown girls like makes me feel so proud yeah i mean yeah for sure and it's also because like um we know sam bailey and we know how hard she's been working to try to make this happen and seeing the fruits of her labor gets so so many accolades like every time i see a news article about brown girls and just how people are just like freaking out about it it makes me so happy like you did it girl you're doing it like seeing your dream be respected and being able to um talk at length about it and people are actually willing to listen to what you have to say it's so nice and i'm so excited for a moment that she's having right now so uh that's brown girls for me what about you james so what I'm feeling this week is this documentary that, again, Sinead, I know you listen, and I'm thanking you so much for getting me onto this documentary uh, called Tickled, and it's on HBO, and the wild thing about this documentary, yo, like, it's it's so fucked up, and, I, and I'm not going to give spoilers because I want you to watch it, especially if you got, like, a friend that has that, a- that HBO Go login, but basically this pop culture writer from New Zealand, he stumbles upon um, these videos that uh, very much seem like uh, fetish videos for tickling. And just based on the response that this journalist gets when, when he wants to write a story on it, it leads him into this wild path. And that's all I can give you because I don't want to give any spoilers, but I will just say like, you think it's going to be one thing, but it's not. (laughs) So, I mean, that's really all I got. Just watch awesome. Tickled. Okay. Tickled is great. It's okay. awesome. All right. Uh, that is a sample program from James. <laughs> hey, Cher, guess what? We made it to the end of another episode. We did it. <laughs> We're here. We're here. We're at the very end. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's always so good to talk to you. Same. Well, since we have all made it to the end, I just want to give you a brief reminder that open-ended is a production of the two of us Cher and myself James and we're also a proud member of Post Loudness which is a collective of independent audio shows hosted by people of color women and queer identified hosts the two of us helped co-found this little thing still can't believe it's going around Um, I do want to give you a brief reminder that Black Girl and Ohm is another post loudness show. They're coming out with season two. And by the time that this episode comes out, season two, episode one will be live. So check out blackgirlandohm.com slash podcast to, you know, find out more info about it. Or you can subscribe to them on literally everywhere you get your podcasts. So thank you, Black Girl and Ohm, for being part of the post loudness family. And thank you, Cher. Or thank you, James. <laughs> just being you. Oh, thank you, James. <laughs> being you too. Yeah. Um, we're also a proud member of the CPC, the Chicago Podcast Co-op. And what else we got here, Cher? You can review. You can review us if you like what you heard and want to, or you want to give us some feedback. You can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, and uh, take a couple minutes and uh, tell something. Tell us something nice. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at OpenEndedFM. You can also follow me at ShareMusings. 
You can follow me at James T. Green. And we'll be back next week or in a couple weeks. I haven't decided yet, but we'll be back. We'll be back. We'll yeah, back. we'll be back. We'll be we'll back. back. I think we've been rolling with this two-week schedule. Yeah. And we're going to see how that works. We're going to see how yeah, that works. For sure. But until next time, keep things open-ended. Post loudness.